All right, so here we go. Thanks for being patient with us. We will be back at West High School next week on February 7th. Um, COVID kind of locked it down this week, but by then they've assured us that we will be ready to go. Just a couple quick announcements before we jump into our text. I'm super excited about this text today. Um, one is that we are in our last week of accepting people looking to get into the sexual sanity group. So it's not, not as much a, a class as it is a group. And I've been told that there's only one or two spots left. So if that's of something that's of interest to you, the link to get more information or to contact somebody is in the description of this video. Um, and, and also, just, just to say this, even if you're not going through the sexual sanity class group, even if you're not going through that, please be praying for those who are. That's heavy material. It's going to be a powerful class. Be praying for the people going through it and be praying for the littles as they teach, as they lead folks through that. That's going to be real important for our church. It's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Second and last announcement is we did a deep dive last week on our need for volunteers and a couple people really answered the call and are going to be very helpful with our children, our kids community. We are still looking for volunteers for our audio video team. So right now, I'm looking right into a very fancy camera as we do this here. And this didn't just set itself up. Nathan is sitting right there. He's really hoping I nail this in one take so he can go home. <laughs> but he needs help. We need help running the camera. We need help running the computer on Sunday mornings. And listen, you didn't have to go to MIT to do this. If you can use a smartphone, you can do the, the kind of work that we're doing. They'll crash course you through this in a few minutes and you'll be good to go after that. So if you're interested in volunteering in our audio video team, we could really use your help. The link that we would need you to, to click on is also down in the description and it will take you to a serve form. There'll also be a text line down there and you can text in, I'd like to serve and the audio video team. So that's out of the way, okay? I'd love for you, if you have a Bible or you're using your phone, go ahead and go to 1 Peter 2. We're gonna keep working through our series and this passage today in 1 Peter 2 is gonna be really helpful because on January 6th, our nation experienced a little bit of trauma, especially at the Capitol building. And I heard probably like most of you did, I just heard as it was happening, it kind of was brought to my attention. I was on the phone with a good friend that goes to Legacy and asked him how he was doing. And he said, well, I'm doing fine, all things considered. Are you looking at the news? And I wasn't. So when I turned it on, I saw what most of you saw, and that was agents barricading a door with broken glass with their glocks pulled and a lot of angry people on the other side of the door. Now, these angry people, they, some of them look normal, right? They, they look like your neighbors. Some of them might have been your neighbors, actually. It could have been your accountant. They, they look, for, for, for the most part, as normal people. Some of them did not. Some of them painted their face like they just got done tailgating at an SEC championship game, and they had Viking horns on. Not normal, right? And, and then when they all stormed into the Capitol, you could tell a lot of them didn't even know what to do. I don't think they were planning on getting in there so much. So they just started grabbing souvenirs and taking selfies. But then there were folks who were in there for revolution. And if it cost blood, so be it. And that's what made it scary for a lot of people, right? It's scary because we're not used to seeing that kind of thing here in America. If, if you flip through your news app, you might catch something in the, the Filipino parliament where someone takes a shoe off and throws it and it turns into a brawl. We're kind of, we just keep scrolling. We're used to seeing that, but to see what we did here in America, it's totally different, right? 
And honestly, I was probably a little bit more surprised than I was aghast when I saw it. I've been inoculated like many of you over the last nine or 10 months of seeing squad cars firebombed in some of our major cities and seeing people occupy some of the city buildings. Our nation has gotten very good at storming various capitals in different places. And as scary as that day was, and as concerned as I was at what I saw, I was equally concerned over the fallout that I knew was gonna happen. I knew that speech probably would not be as free as it was this time last year, or this time a decade ago, really. It would be a freedom that would be removed from us to some degree. And, and let me just say, moving forward as a people, you're going to find, and this is especially true if you love God, you believe in the Bible, and Jesus is to be treasured. If that's true for you, then some of the things that you would call truthful will be called hateful by many others. In fact, if, if you're my age or younger, it's likely you'll get canceled in this lifetime. Maybe canceled by your friend group, your family, your parents, your workplace might cancel you. But if you love God and you hold the Bible to be true, this is likely to be happening because what was free to us yesterday is now going to be costly for us. So what do we do? when society is shifting in all these different radical directions. And, and this is the question we're gonna carry into our passage today. How are we supposed to submit to governing authorities when we don't agree with them? In fact, maybe we vehemently disagree with them. Is it okay to rebel? Is it okay to storm the Capitol? And then what do we do when we feel like our freedoms are being removed from us right before our very eyes? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you got to know your Bible is alive. Peter is speaking directly to you and me today. We're very fortunate to be tripping on this passage in this series today. I want you to pretend that Peter himself is in your living room or peering over the top of your laptop, and he is speaking to you. I don't know what he looked like, scraggly beard. I always imagine them to have scraggly beards with a robe on, probably didn't smell awesome, but he's talking to you powered by the Holy Spirit as he gives you the words of God. I want you to pretend that this is happening because that's exactly what is happening as he speaks to us. So we're going to look at 1 Peter 2. We're only going to do four verses today, 13 through 17. This is going to be the word of the Lord for us today and very helpful. And it says this, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Here's the main idea of what Peter is saying. It is God's will that you're in exile. You're in a place you don't fit. And you're free to submit to, and he says, every, every human institution. And therefore, we showcase the gospel before a watching world. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Hear him. You are free to be restricted. You are free to be constrained. And this is the gospel way. 
And this passage finds you and me struggling with our own governors and our own emperors. Even if you're watching this today and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, not me, Luke, my guy won. I voted blue and my guy won. Listen, you still have to submit to the speed limits out there. You struggle with it. You know you do. What about the tax rates? What about uh, housing permits, local regulations, rules at the workplace? We struggle with these things. Every institution, he says, the exercise is authority we are to submit to. And listen, I'm not, I am not interested in sensationalizing national politics. Goodness gracious, we all know there's enough of that happening right now. But let's just put our party affiliation aside. Donkey or elephant, doesn't matter to me right now. You've got to agree. We've got to agree that the human institutions are growing more and more I guess, incensed at what you and I believe. It's just losing its patience, society is, with how you and I look at the Bible, look at the truth inside of it, and look at the gospel that it lifts for us to see and adore. And I say put party aside, because historically, laws and legislation, it follows culture, not the other way around, right? So if you want to know what tomorrow's laws and legislation is, Just look at your Instagram feed or pay attention to the lyrics that your kids memorize because what is popular today will be widely accepted tomorrow and it will be legislated after that. Listen, Tim Keller says it better than I do. He says an increasingly secular West is only just the beginning to experience the level of hostility that the first century believers faced. And I agree with Tim Keller. And I know that when I do, we both sound like your great-grandpa, talking about how things are just going to get worse. But let me say, I think they're, they're just going to get better as well. I think things are going to get a lot better. I'm more excited about the next great awakening than I am afraid of the next great oppression. Far more. I mean, this is how it works. One generation gets heavily mocked. The next one gets muzzled, maybe even mugged. The generation of that is heavily martyred. I hope you caught that all of those started with them. That took a lot of work for me. (laughs) But eventually, someone comes along and gets to experience revival and awakening. And this is what I'm excited about. Go On your own time, go to Wikipedia and look at the first and the second great awakening. And you will see these men, these titanic men that are preaching at such an amplitude that it's leading nations to see Christ more clearly. Here's what you don't see. The generations before the Whitfields the generations that came before of faithful men and women who just plowed. They plodded faithfully day after day. They put one foot in front of the other with emperors breathing down their neck and with culture canceling them. That's what you'll find. History shows us that when the church is heavily oppressed, even to the point of being extinguished, God's spirit will cover the chaos. Just like he does in Genesis 1, God's spirit will cover the chaos and breathe into dead and broken and bitter hearts. And we'll see awakening. Listen, when I think about this, and I don't know where we're at on the timeline, but when I think about this, my heart just says, Lord, make it so. Make it so, Lord. Because here's the truth. We're planting trees for future generations. We might not get to see the fruit of it. We might not. But let's let this passage carry its own weight. You see, when Peter wrote this passage, the times were not as equitable, I'll say, as what they are today. Slavery 
what they call slavery, was normal. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. It's not the American slavery that we're used to thinking. As soon as someone says the word slavery, it triggers the American experience in our minds, and that's not what they were talking about. Closer to something like bond service, right, or, or being a servant of some kind. Uh, but that was normal. That was very normal. Women, women couldn't vote. Listen, women couldn't do anything. They couldn't join a hockey team. They couldn't run a corporation. That's because they were considered a subclass of human back then. Taxes were weaponized against the marginalized and against the poor. Worst of all, when Peter wrote this, Nero was the emperor, right? Modern church has never witnessed anything like a Nero before. He was considered, is considered, one of the most ruthless leaders against the Christian faith in human history. He sits on the same shelf as Hitler himself does. Now, whether he started a fire in Rome or it just started, there was a giant fire that covered Rome and he blamed it on the church. And when he did that, persecution burst forth and no one was safe. And again, I'm not going to sensationalize everything that Nero did. You can go to Wikipedia and look at it yourself. Fair to say, Peter did not vote for Nero. Peter did not approve of his behavior. In fact, it would be the same Nero that would kill Peter himself. So I wonder when I read this, I wonder if Peter could see it coming down the pike. I wonder if while he was scribbling out 1 Peter, <laughs> I wonder if he was writing to these exiles across what is modern-day Turkey. I wonder if you could see the writing on the wall that his number was likely to come up pretty quick. Because it just makes me read this a little bit differently. I think it's supposed to have that effect on us. We're hearing the word submit to every human institution from a guy who struggled with more than just climate change policies or long-term capital gains tax rates. So it's at no point that I can carry my tiny little objections to this letter, this, this letter when I know it's written by a guy who had to face a Nero. I mean, it, Peter's not a guy that's hashtagging, not my emperor, every time he gets an opportunity to tell people about how he feels. He did not storm Nero's home and kick his feet up on the desk and grab a nameplate and take it home as a souvenir. He is telling you and me to effectively be a model citizen. And that's what he's saying. Be a model citizen so the world can see Christ more clearly. And not just what Christ did, but the fact that he submitted, he submitted his very own life for very evil people to the glory of God to build an army of people, the Christian church, who would do the very same thing before a watching world. Again, we're exiles that don't fit. And to come alongside Peter and agree with him is Paul. Now, Paul says it the way Paul talks. Peter talks the way Peter talks. But in Romans 13, 1 through 2, and then 5 through 7, it says, Let every person, Paul says, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Okay, truth. I have a problem with these passages. A serious one. 
I don't like to submit. I bet you don't either. Submission feels too much like restriction for me to be comfortable with, right? And, and, and we here in the Western world, we like to flow unimpeded in any direction that we want to go. And when the, when the Neros of the world come marching in, submission just feels servile, pathetic, weak. But when Peter's using the word freedom in this passage, he's not talking about the freedoms that we imagine in the Constitution. When, when he says live as people who are free, he's not talking about being free to assemble or carry a Glock or say whatever you feel like saying. It's not what he's saying. I want to be careful, and I want all of us to be careful, of superimposing God's plan in the gospel over a political platform, okay? Or a posture, a political posture. That's been happening for as long as Jesus walked the earth. People are always trying to push him into a political posture. What Peter is addressing when he says freedom is freedom from the value system of the world. What this world holds is valuable. We are freed from it. God has made you and me an exile, friend, by unshackling us from the values of this world and at the same time shackling us to himself. When we are unchained from the values of this world, we are in fact chained to God. We become God's slave, God's servant. We belong to him. We're committed to him. That's the trade. In other words, Christian freedom, that's a life of restriction. It's a life of restriction. As we submit to Jesus, we're free from this world. That's the big idea. Freedom is found in submission. Freedom is found in restriction, not necessarily just a constitution. And if this is hard for you, you're not alone. You're not. Hard to understand or even hard to swallow. You're not alone. That's why our goal is that the Holy Spirit would show you and me the difference between submitting, like they're telling us to, and revolting. And there is a time to revolt, okay? There is a time and place for that. Make no mistake, there is a time when we have to stiffen the vertebra and look at the world powers and say, no, not doing that. We need the Holy Spirit to help us discern that. It's a messy middle. I think one of our key struggles with this passage is that in contemporary Western culture, freedom is viewed from the negative side, the negative posture. We are always free from something, right? I am free from tyranny. That's the restriction of, a, of an evil ruler of some kind. Or I am, I am free from the restriction of that bad marriage, which brought restrictions to you. Or I'm free from debt, which brought restrictions right? Or I'm free from the demands and the restrictions and the commitments and the obligations of this world. I'm free. That's how we usually use the word. The Western idea of freedom is that we can move in any direction we want with no hurdles and nothing slowing us down. But that doesn't exist for anyone, ever, at any time. Everyone is enslaved to something. We are all chained to something, and therefore we have restrictions. Listen, whatever it is you're committed to, it brings restrictions to you. You just think of it. You fill in the blank. What are you committed to? It brought you restrictions. That's how it works. Before Jesus found me, I would have told you I was free. Free to do whatever I felt like doing. But I wasn't free. There were things that I just had to have. There were things that I was 100% committed to. And then that brought restrictions to me. For me at that age, it was power. It was wealth. It was security. 
I need acceptance. I needed these. I had to have those things. I was committed to getting those things. And so what it meant for me, we were a lot of restrictions. I had to have an elite career. I couldn't choose any career. I had to have an elite one, which meant I had to go to the right college. I couldn't go to any school. That means I had to have the right GPA and the right work history, which meant I had to work all-nighters and work my way through weekends and not have as many friends. I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. It was full of restrictions. The Spartan lifestyle that I had to live to get what I really wanted. I wasn't free. I definitely wasn't unimpeded. I was committed and therefore I was restricted. Marriage is the same way, is it not? I know we're seeing an increasing amount of people that are pushing away from marriage. Why would they do that? There's restrictions that come with that kind of commitment. I want to be free to date around. I, why would you marry one person when you can be with 10? I don't want to be anchored or tethered to one person. So marriage is a dumb idea. So they feel like they're free, but they're not free at all. They're chained. And you know what they're chained to? Independence. And that independence has restrictions. It says, you'll never get close to anybody. You'll never have a relationship that goes very long with any one person. Because that's what independence requires. This is how Euripides says it. He's a playwright almost 3,000 years ago. He says, no one's truly free. No one. They are a slave to wealth, fortune, the law, or other people restraining them from acting according to their will. If you are committed to something, you are most certainly restricted. And you know this. I mean, moms, your kids, you're committed to them. I guarantee it. But did they not bring some restrictions to you? I mean, you just can't do what you used to do. And you can't do all the time that you want to do. You have restrictions, right? Husbands, you're committed to your brides. That means you can't go out on any more dates with other women. You have restrictions. You've chosen your bride. That is your bride brought restrictions. It's not bad. It just, it did, right? Let's put Jesus in there. If you're committed to Jesus, that brings restrictions, right? Now hear me, hear me carefully. I mean, when you look at Exodus 20, the very first commandment that God gives is that you shall have no other gods before me. Immediately he's given us a restriction. We can't just choose any God we want. We can have 38 gods. If he is our God and we are committed to him, we have restrictions. We can't choose any other gods, right? And this is God's design. The only place of deep satisfaction for you is to be committed 100% to God in loving and devoted obedience. That is where we find real life. We chain ourselves to him as he unchains us from the world. We are committed. When he says live as free gospel people. He is saying that we are subject to absolutely nobody, but we are free to serve everybody. And the more you enjoy and love Jesus, the good news is, is the less freedom you will have to do everything that you might want to do, but you won't care because you finally found true life. You, you finally have life. It's an easy yoke. This is the life of a Christian exile. And therefore, we are to, with our freedom, Submit to every governing entity. Every single one. Big question, though. What about when the emperor commands me to do evil or outlaws my obedience? Do I still submit? No, you don't. In submitting to authority, 
we never disobey the commands of God. Okay? If governing power commands the church to do what it is commanded not to do or will not allow us to do what we are commanded to do, then we should do two things. We should disobey courageously and we should disobey gracefully. We should carry courage and grace at the same time. This is what we call Christian civil disobedience. Christian civil disobedience. And Martin Luther King was pretty artful with this. And he wrote something down in the margins of an old newspaper in a dirty Birmingham jail cell, and it became real popular. It's a letter from a Birmingham jail, and this is what he says. He says, there is nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. It was seen sublimely in the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to obey the laws of Nebuchadnezzar because a higher moral law was involved. It was practiced superbly by the early Christians who were willing to face hungry lions in the excruciating pain of chopping blocks before submitting to certain unjust laws of the Roman Empire. You see, honoring the emperor cannot mean dishonoring God. And honoring the emperor doesn't preclude you speaking against evil. You should be able to do that. We should be doing that. That's part of one of the things that we're commanded to do. We honor the emperor's office, and we honor the emperor in as much as it does not dishonor God. That's kind of the cardinal rule there. But can you already sense the tension? There is a tension, and it's going to make you look odd to, to, to live in this. It's going to make you feel like you don't belong. You're not swinging far to one side or to the other. You're in this messy middle. And that's what this entire part of the letter is about. Exiles just don't fit by nature. In fact, we see this played out a couple times, this Christian civil disobedience and, and how there's a tension in it. In the book of Acts, and we see it in the book of Daniel and Acts, we see this. It says, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Listen, as Peter and John talking, and they just told them that they couldn't preach. I just don't know that we're too far from something like that here in America. And if we're told not to preach, I'm just going to rip this line straight up out of Acts 4. I'm just going to plagiarize it. I like the way they said it. You, you guys decide on your own whether you think it's good or bad, but we can't help but do what God has put inside of our lungs to do. And then we see this in Daniel 3. These brave men that Martin Luther King referenced, they said, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, no one wants you to be in the messy middle. People, people are going to want you to swing all the way to one side, storm the capital, or, or, or go all the way to the other side, passively dishonoring God. But showcasing the gospel will always be in this tension, and you will always stand out. That's okay, because no political party owns you. None. You're not captive to the values of this world. Our lives should showcase Jesus more than an elephant or a donkey, right? I mean, just a quick litmus test for you, just to see how you struggle with what I just now said. Do you feel free to praise the virtue you see in the person that you vehemently did not vote for? Are you able to do that? I mean, because when one party or when one person is always evil, or always noble, you might struggle a little bit with this freedom that Peter is talking about. If you can't bring yourself to notice the virtue in someone that you did not vote for, you're not very free, are you? 
you're shackled to a political party, very possibly. Just a litmus test, probably a different sermon altogether. Also, we disobey the government when the rulers tell us we can't obey God, not when it restricts our felt constitutional freedoms here in America. Okay, so if they come for your guns, that is genuinely a restriction on your American freedoms, but it is not a call for Christian civil disobedience. I hope you hear me on that. Because when authorities command us to worship idols or to stop extending the gospel, we stand courageously before the mouths of lions and the mouths of furnaces. We don't budge an inch. We don't move. We don't flinch. We don't serve. We stay steady. And if we're canceled, or worse, I'll see you there. I'll see you there. We'll, we'll be quoting Acts 4, right? But we don't express Christian civil disobedience when the kings of the world limit our constitutional freedoms. And, and in my opinion, this is when the church can look really goofy, is when this starts to happen. Because listen, I'm not jazzed about the increasing tax rate any more than you are, right? And if you didn't know your taxes are going up, newsflash, spoiler alert, your taxes are going up. I'm not excited about that, but I'm still going to render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I'm going to submit. I'm going to submit. I'm not jazzed about speech being metered and measured. I don't really know that I'm all that excited about everyone getting their fingerprints all over the Second Amendment, but I'm not going to march up and down Kingston Pike with my hunting rifle, screaming at people, saying that they can't take my weapon. I'm not going to do that, right? I just don't believe it's in the space of requiring Christian civil disobedience. So quick application as we move through the, the backside of this. All right, Luke, I'll do it. I'll submit, but I'm not going to like it. Can I at least not like it? Can I vent? Can I let the world know what my opinions are? Can I speak against it? Sure, but I'm going to say be careful. Be careful here. Feel free to disagree vocally. Feel free to march to your favorite social media app and disagree. Go ahead and feel free to do that. Also, feel free not to dishonor the person or speak evil. <laughs> A little harder, right? But that's the spirit of this text. Measure yourself. Honor the office if you can't find yourself honoring the person. Listen, Jesus didn't agree with everything Caesar did, obviously, but we don't find him standing up on a, on a mountaintop ripping Caesar every time he gets a shot to do so. Same thing with Pilate, same thing with Herod. We have Christ who is beaten. He's got the taste of blood in his mouth, and he is not mocking. He's not talking trash. He's not spewing hatred. We also have this interesting text. It's buried in the back of Acts. No one ever really talks about this text very much, but someone just took a shot at Paul. Someone decked him, and he got punched, and he did, the, he did what most guys would do when they get punched, and they just kind of come back, and if they can't swing back, they might throw a couple verbal jabs. And this is what he says. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Listen, I hate reading posts on social media today. I'm getting to where I can't do it anymore. We just look like bitter, broken animals as we just consume each other and spew hatred. It's, 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 like a, it's like a sewage system is overflowed. That's what it looks like. 
don't advocate what's evil. Speak against what is evil, okay? And also don't troll people that are made in the image of God. Don't dishonor people. Don't, don't, don't spew hatred towards people. This is the messy middle we're talking about. Do you see it takes some discernment? It takes us slowing our roll before we start banging something out on our phone. I get it. This country, it's looking less and less like the America our great-grandparents grew up in. Truth. But Christ is not impressed with our proud insubordination. He's not. But here's the good news as we finish this. You were made for a perfect governing authority. That's what you were made for. And yet we're surrounded by broken ones. Interesting, right? You were designed to live in a government with no corruption, with no failure. Yet we're still waiting for it, this kingdom of God to come in its fullness. Until then, folks, we repent. We repent for dishonoring people around us and spewing hatred, speaking horribly. We repent for chaining ourselves to the values of this world instead of the Christ that we treasure. Because we're exiles here. We don't fit. That's what Peter's trying to say repeatedly. So this is my challenge to you. I want you to take a hard look at your attitude, especially when it comes to emperors and governors today. And I want you to ask yourself, Am I praying for them more than I'm complaining and trolling them? Ask yourself that. Ask yourself if you are so satisfied with Christ that you are easily dissatisfied with the world. Are you at a place, friend, listen, are you at a place where you love Christ more and more and you hate sin more and more? Where Jesus is more deeply treasured than he was yesterday and the sin in your life is detested more than it was yesterday? Are you so satisfied and content with who Jesus is, that you have lost taste for this world. That is the freedom that Peter is talking about right here. And friend, listen, if you're watching this and you are far from Christ and you're just looking, you're looking for something, you're hoping it's Jesus, but you know that you are not right with God, maybe we can agree that you yearn for a perfect leader. Don't you hope for that every time you vote for somebody? Or you see somebody run for office, you see everybody else getting excited about them, and there's a piece of you that just hopes that they're the real deal, that they're going to be the perfect leader that changes everything. And then it ends up getting spoiled. Did you know that that yearning that is in you for a perfect leader is designed by God to be in you? A little piece of software he hard, hardwired into you. that You were meant to long for a perfect leader because you will find him in Christ. He is our perfect general, our perfect king, our perfect leader, our perfect governor, our perfect emperor. And we'll be finding Christ. In Christ. And, and, and this is the thing about that commitment. It puts restrictions on us when we commit ourselves to this type of a leader. And when you choose him and you commit to him, you will find that you can't do everything in the world that you used to do or may even sometimes want to do. But here's the thing. You won't care because you have finally found life in life everlasting. You have found true life. So maybe we could pray together. We could pray for our leaders. We could pray for your hearts. So just join me in prayer briefly. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in nations beyond what we can even see. You've always held 
the hearts of kings in your hands, and you have steered them like rivers of water, you say. So, Lord, these institutions, all of them, that rule us, give us the power of your Spirit, Lord, to submit. Help us see evil and speak against it, and even protest, even revolt if need be. But, Lord, help us submit where we need to submit. Help us discern life in this messy middle, this tension that you've put us in as exiles. And Lord, we pin all of our hope on you. You are the one that has given us this freedom. You are our deepest treasure. Lord, that we would fall more and more in love with you and we would hate our sin more and more as the days go on. Lord, we pray for our leaders in this nation even. Father, whether we voted for them or not, whether we're excited about their policies or not, we pray, Father, that there would be a spiritual awakening even in the governments of the land. Father, that your Holy Spirit would quicken hearts, that your Holy Spirit would remove the hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh where they could see what you have done and see their responsibility before it. Lord, that you would change hearts. We would see it in our lifetime. Yeah, we'll plant some trees, but maybe we get to see some of the fruit as well. And in the meantime, Father, give us the endurance to submit where we need to, to bring correction to others when they are just spewing hatred, to pray when we need to pray, and to protest when we need to protest. Help us, Father, with that. Lord, we love you and we're very thankful. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So thank you very much. Thanks for being patient. We will see you at West High School next week on February 7th. Have a great Sunday.